Welcome to Work Is Good, a CSM podcast. My name is Lane Buto, and I host the show with my dad, Chris Buto, the owner and president at CSM. Today's conversation is with Eric Kahn. Eric is the host of the Hard Men podcast and the CEO at New Christendom Press in Ogden, Utah. On this episode, we get into a Christian perspective of work, property, and wealth. If you've ever felt like there's tension between your desire to enjoy things on this earth and the commands in Scripture to set your mind on things above, like in Colossians 3-2, this conversation is for you. Is it good to want to own material possessions? Is it good to invest yourself in building earthly things, like businesses, for example? Those are all things we cover in this conversation. So please enjoy, and remember that if you're interested in working with my dad and our team at CSM to get a mortgage, or if you know someone who's in that process, check us out at clevelandstreet.com. Thanks for joining us today, Eric. Really appreciate it. Um, Eric, I was introduced to you through a couple different podcasts. You guys have gone the Hard Men podcast, the King's Hall. Um, really enjoying those. And uh, particularly, I've enjoyed some of your content around um, Christian businesses and the concept of, of stewarding wealth and money and just the idea of earthly things being good. Um, you know, I recently read uh, Joe Rigney's The Things of Earth and really, really enjoyed that. And I heard you guys allude to that on one of your podcasts. Um, so I've been very influenced by that and have given a lot of a lot of thought to this topic recently. Um, so I'm excited to get into those. Uh, but can you just first go ahead and give us an introduction of who you are, uh, what your background is, what you have going on right now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, again, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge Church in Ogden, Utah. Uh, I'm also the CEO of New Christendom Press. So this is the umbrella company, media company for all of our podcast production. Of course, we have the King's Hall, Hardman Podcast. Uh, we also have Haunted Cosmos, uh, which uh, Pastor Brian and uh, Ben Garrett are working on that, our deacon Ben Garrett. And then we've got, uh, of course, Brian does with his wife, Lexi. They do the Bright Hearth Podcast as well. So we've been here for about a year and a half, uh, really working on this work of building new Christendom, um, share a lot of the same ideas with Doug Wilson and, you know, building Christendom 2.0, seeing Christ's kingdom established on the earth. But one of the things that we we started to realize is years ago when we were starting this building project is that we really have to answer the, the question of wealth and starting businesses. Because a lot of the guys, we say, like, right. like we want to build Christendom, um, but that might be in conflict if you're working for either the government, which a lot of people do here, or these bureaucratic globo corporations who just happen to hate you. We've got to solve this issue with work, property, and wealth. And so, yeah, we, we've spent a lot of time delving into those issues. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it, it's and it's, you, you know, the, the Rigney book was, I think, a large part of what started the thought process for me um, right now, at least. And it's, it's just a really timely conversation um because like you said it's a need if you're gonna do anything um to to be able to use earthly things and to have and part of the conversation uh, my dad and i had around it a couple weeks ago was no one no one thinks you shouldn't mess with these things you shouldn't pursue money you shouldn't you know no no one actually lives out their theology in their head um so there's this disconnect and if you are doing anything with it it's kind of a guilt um, so yeah, can you just dive in s- some more to, um, 
what's the current conversation on on this right now? What's the climate of this conversation um, that you guys are stepping into? And um, w- what do people need to hear right now? Yeah, definitely. I, I think we were, uh, each of us as pastors, we were kind of attuned to this. We all kind of came out of the big Eva, you know, mega church to some extent, uh, church planning, Acts 29, that whole movement, Young, Restless, and Reformed. And it wouldn't be like a very spelled out doctrine necessarily, but fundamentally what you had going on was a reaction to the prosperity gospel, but it really was a poverty gospel. And so it was kind of this idea that having wealth as Christians uh, wasn't a good thing, that you should be poor. Um, You would even hear a lot of Christian leaders talking about things like, well, the early church was really successful because they were poor, broke, and persecuted. And really what it, it was is we... We kind of grew up in an area where, like the boomers, um, they had built a world that was financially prosperous, and so you know you could you could kind of think this way. Well, I think now what's happened is we've lost so much cultural ground that people are starting to realize maybe we shouldn't have given away those institutions. And by the way, the left is doing a really good job at controlling society, particularly economically, and it's because they control the institutions, they control the infrastructure, and they're willing to finance these things. Well, you've seen sort of a shift now, though, because you have guys like Andrew Torba, uh, the guys in Moscow, they're talking about like, well, we need parallel economies. We need something else that's owned by Christians. And so I think for a lot of people that's kickstarted this conversation about, wait a minute, we actually need wealth and money to advance the kingdom of God. Well, you can go back to the Gospels. You're like, well, yeah, that's actually what Jesus was teaching. He's giving you talents. He's calling his people to invest them and to bring a return on investment. Of course, the cliche, Jesus talks about money more than anybody else. And when you look at what he says, he doesn't say money's horrible, you know, get rid of it. Uh, It's not a good thing to have. Instead, it's invest it well. And I think actually it's helpful to see, um, you mentioned Joe Rigney's book, but another one I'll mention uh, from David Chilton, Productive Christians in an Age of Guilt Manipulators. So this ideology of poverty gospel from Ron Sider was around in the 70s. Like this has been around for a while in America. And this book in particular helped me see that actually wealth isn't bad. The, the Bible talks a lot about wealth, talks about inheritance, talks about passing on productive property, those sorts of things. And so as Christians, if we're going to have an impact on our world, on America, we've got to have a good firm grasp of what those biblical concepts are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, how do you then deal with the... You know, obviously, a lot, large part of the reason people are so uncomfortable with wealth is because of of the warnings about it, um, which there are a lot of, and those, those aren't to be taken lightly. Um, so, have you guys found helpful to deal with those warnings? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think a lot of it is, you know, distinguishing, um, particularly uh, in the letter to Timothy. You know, a love of money. Um, is is it can lead to evil things, particularly if you're desiring to be wealthy for the sake of it. But I think what we've tried to do is grounded in, okay, going back to wealth and understanding what is it? It's not primarily for you. It's not primarily for self-aggrandizement. It's not primarily to make yourself as luxuriously comfortable as you possibly can on this earth. Um, so this concept of productive property is particularly helpful. I also think it's interesting when you look at Luke chapter 12, right? You have two brothers fighting over an inheritance. And the immediate story that's told, the parable that's told immediately following is about the guy who built bigger barns. And you have to wonder if that wasn't the father who died and the sons are now fighting over the inheritance. Well, ideally, you know, scripture speaks to 
passing on wealth so that it can be used for something, right? Mm. So that it can be used for the kingdom. So I think once we get guys focused on building businesses, building productive property, whether it's real estate investment, whether it's a company, whether it's buying capital, whatever that is, you start to realize, okay, so run one of those companies. Well, what do, what do you have to do when you do that? You have to care for people. You start to realize, well, I'm in charge of other people's families, right? If these business decisions that I'm making are impacting so many other people, and that can be really glorious, or it can be a, a potential huge pitfall. So I think as much as we say, okay, this is the bad thing, you know, to love money, to be obsessed with right. money, to live only for money. At the same time, we want to promote a glory of the godly use of wealth and push people toward that. Eric, can I um, ask, this is somewhat related, you know, you talk about, you know, the parallel economy and, and, you know, obviously it, it's a radically different proposition depending on whether you're talking about, you know, which light beer you're going to drink versus, you know, not Bud Light. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or whether you're going to avail yourself of amazon.com and all that it you know, brings to bear. And, and, and I realize that, you know, it's kind of, you not despise the day of small beginnings sort of a thing where you, you know, you can't just go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask Elon Musk to buy Amazon and become conservative and a Christian. And, you know, Maybe that happens at some point, but you know how do, how do we uh, on the practical level do we just start at the very small? You know, I have a mortgage company. It's a very small operation. Two of my sons work with me. I'm blessed by that, um, and and I I believe I'm a part of that parallel economy. I think that's a faithful work to do. But in the grand scheme, I you know I I recognize that I'm 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 not a huge influence. So kind of how do you? scope that project out in, in a way that people sort of look, okay, this is, I, I've got to get busy on this. And, and, and my contribution makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. It's a phenomenal question. Cause I think what we've realized, say with like the King's Hall, um, we're pushing this vision of Christendom and of rebuilding and, you know, parallel economies, all that stuff. But we also realize that there's going to be different people who hear that message. Some of them are very wealthy people who own media companies. Uh, we've talked to some of those and that's great. But I would say the majority of guys are, you know, they're blue collar guys or, you know, white collar guys who are just working hard on a daily basis to provide for their own people. And I think a lot of what they need to hear is kind of what you're saying that you kind of start with where you are, realize that we're in this mix, right? It's kind of a mixed bag. Like you can't actually just pull out of everything that you purchase from. And even when you start doing that, like I've looked at it and it's like, okay, I'm not going to buy from Amazon. So I'm going to buy from where? Okay, and then you go down to the local hardware store and you're like, okay, their supplier is actually the same people. So you're not actually changing anything in that scenario. But I think one of the things that we can do that makes a big difference, say it's the mortgage company. Okay, so well, you can give an equitable deal, a fair deal, a just deal. You can deal righteously with people that you interface with as a part of that business, both employees and your customers. And that is, like you said, that's the beginning of that parallel economy where you know, other guys, it may be like, maybe you work for your W2 guy working for a corporation right now. And maybe the thing you need to do is be building and saving your money so that you can one day start a business or go be a part of somebody else's. It may not be a radical change right now. And for a lot of people, it would actually be dumb just to, you know, bail on whatever you're doing. I think one of the things we have seen is there's a lot of guys who it, we'd, we'd call it in theological terms and overrealize eschatology, right? Like, 
we're post mill and we want to see the world come under Christ's reign. We also are acknowledging, you know, Festinolente that we make haste slowly because that's going to be a long, slow march um, that could take, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. And because of the promise, though, we know that, hey, we just put our nose to the plow and uh, we're going to see progress over time. So I think, yeah, a lot of the times the progress is just this small, slow, steady work of wherever you are doing righteous, good work and, you know, being frugal, all that good stuff. Good. So I'm curious in your research, Eric, uh, on kind of the this topic and on the different positions. Um, have you gotten a sense of, or, or just from from a sense of history, have you gotten a sense of, um, it, in terms of Christian circles, how how long have is this a recent thing where we've had this kind of wealth is bad, um, you know, being so heavenly minded that you're, you know, no earthly good kind of thing. Um, ha, is this a recent thing or when, when did this become kind of evangelical consensus? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think some of it could be traced back to some of the things we've talked about in the hard men podcast, like pietism. So, you know, for reformers especially, you know, you look back, okay, what was Christendom 1.0? Well, there was no, in Christendom 1.0, at that point, there's no, like, Protestant Reformation. And so a lot of that stuff is one church, Roman Roman Catholic predominantly church, building a lot of that stuff. I think what happened, at least one thing that, one strain that's remained with us that happened is because of the opulence and abuse of the church, um, they held, you know, and still do, but they held massive amounts of wealth and you look at some of the fiascos with the popes and stuff like that, I think that, you know, say like the Puritans, they were reacting against mm -hmm. that, but often went to another ditch. So like we, we I remember as a kid, you know, as, as, a, as a young Baptist, we'd go into like these beautiful cathedrals and you'd be like, wow, this is magnificent. And, you know, your pastor or whoever your youth group leader would be like, no, this is disgusting and <laughs> opulent and terrible. So it's like, wait, so I'm supposed to hate beauty, wealth and, and amazing buildings. Well, that's probably throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, but I think that stuff has kind of stuck around in pietism. Um, and I also think too, though, when you look at a lot of like Baptist culture that uh, evolved in like Appalachia, they they were poor. So probably having some theology about, you know, God still loves you even if you're poor, that's probably helpful. Uh, but it doesn't, that kind of assumes that we'd always be there. And I don't think that's true. I mean, I, you can look at the church historically and even even things like the Protestant Reformation, right? Martin Luther's work and his Bible does not get printed without the aristocracy supporting him and paying for that massive, expensive project. So I think it's probably just coming out of one ditch and going back and saying, okay, you know, we need to have a more fully or biblical position on this. I think the other thing that has kind of pushed people in the poverty gospel direction is also the prominence of American consumerism. I think people are rightly turned off by the materialism of the country, um, but but maybe like some of the big evangelical movements we can think of, like you know Joel Osteen is kind of the primo example. They you know they demo the bathroom at Lakewood Church and they find like a million dollars of cash in the wall or something like that. It, it kind of becomes this picture of opulence, and so again that sort of stuff is right to respond against. You just want right. to make sure that you land on an actual biblical position. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's helpful. Um, I, it, I'm, I'm curious and what's the, what's the purpose? What are your thoughts on, you know, okay. Uh, beyond just getting to the point where you say, okay, it's not necessary wealth, building good businesses, owning things, owning land is not necessarily, you know, having good earthly things is not necessarily a bad thing. Let's get to that point. That's a good start. Um, but something we talked about in our discussion a couple weeks ago was um, it's okay, not just for the sake of calling it, well, now Christians own it, so it's Christ's, um, but but also an enjoyment part of it, of, you know, this, the, the beautiful cathedral, um, a beautiful house, a, a comfortable house, um, you know, these are good things. And, and we don't need to feel guilty about enjoying them. So what are your thoughts on the purpose of owning things, uh, both to reclaim them, but also in the sense of being able to enjoy them? Yeah, it's a phenomenal question. And I think some of it can be framed by, if you look at uh, the two tables of the Ten Commandments, right, two tables of the law, you have love to God and love to neighbors. So on the first table, you think about what was commanded in the Old Testament right? You're bringing your offerings, you're bringing your wealth, you're bringing your gifts. And what do they do? They, you're going to build this glorious temple. Uh, Solomon's reign, the, the peak of his wealth, when it was used well, was building this magnificent place of worship, which in the beginning, God, his spirit comes upon the temple and God's commending that work. And it's a good thing. And, you know, even with the tabernacle, it's very interesting because God is the one who says, hey, bring the tithes and offerings, bring the gifts, and let's build this beautiful uh, beautiful place of worship. And, you know, God could have said, well, let's make it a drab sheet metal building that's disgusting to look at, and that'll be more holy. But he didn't do mm -hmm. that. So yeah. I think that's part of it. Uh, that's first table, making sure that your wealth, right, your tithing, your first, first fruits go to the Lord. Um, yeah. it, you know, on, on some of those two, they almost seem so simplistic. But I look at the life of our church as a pastor, and it's like, if you can get people to tithe 10%. Um, if you can get people just to that point, it's amazing what change will come in people's lives because all of a sudden their bank account aligns with their theological beliefs. Okay. So that makes a huge difference about the first fruits going to God. And then what is the rest of your wealth being used for? So, and then that could dovetail into the second table of the law where you're, you're talking about loving your people in place, love to neighbor. Um, you know, we, we actually have a commandment on property. Uh, and the prohibition of theft. So it's like clearly property and ownership matters to God. He wanted the people to inherit a land. He's a good father who gives a land to his son, Israel. And so we look at that and we say, okay, well, I want to model what God's doing for his people as a father. I want to do that for my people. So I think thinking about wealth in that way, where, you know, we're even uh, going through this process of home buying right now. And uh, one of the pastors here is our real estate agent. And, you know, he's, continually pushed us to say, you need to not think about property and the homes that you buy just in terms of you. You also have children to be thinking about. How is this going to set them up? How, the decisions that you make financially, how does it set them up to prosper? So I have a, a almost 16-year-old son. In, in a few short years, Lord willing, he'll be starting his own family. How are my financial decisions in that wealth? How am I aiming it at the future generations as well? So again, it's one of those things where as you start talking about those issues, you start thinking about building legacy, generational legacy with generational wealth, then it really does 
it makes you realize this is this money is not for me. Whatever money I have, it, it's not so that I can, you know, spend it all on myself. I think that's the other part I would say in America to your question earlier. How did we get here? The retirement mindset is a huge part of it. You see yeah. people driving across the country in an RV that says spending my children's inheritance. Well, flatly, that's wicked, right? Because they're saying this money's mine. You go get your own. That's inherently unbiblical, right? And so anyway, I think if you're aiming at the, you know, love to God, love to neighbor, this is what my wealth is for, building up my people and my place, then you're going to be putting it to right uses rather mm -hmm. than just, you know, indulging yourself. Yeah, yeah, super helpful. Dad, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, think that online, you know, I think of, you know, I think it's First Timothy 6, you know, where, you know, it says to the rich of this world, you know, be rich in good works. You know, that that's, that's yeah. that that theme exactly, you know, that, that it's not, hey, to the rich in this world, go divest yourself um, until you're poor or go divest yourself until, until you are subsisting. It's be rich in good works. And, and, I, and I think that's exactly, you know, exactly right. Um, and we're not to be lovers of pleasure. You know, so, you know, on the one hand, um, I, I think that's where where the challenges come from is, is, you know, the right view of pleasure, because it's, you know, to be a lover of pleasure is to, is to be gluttonously attentive to the pleasures of this world, not to enjoy a good glass of wine, um, you know, sex that God has created, all of the good things that God has created in this world, the, the, the houses, the, the, you know, the material things, but we're not to become lovers of those things to the extent that now we're not using those resources in the manner in which God desired for us. Be rich in good works. Don't become a love, lover of pleasure. So yeah, I think those are all great thoughts. Yeah. And a lot of that you, you find just really good, helpful, I think, especially I think of my sons, you, you, the other part of this is you have to teach your children how to use wealth. Um, I, I've seen this in, in the news a lot. You know, Jackie Chan has, you know, millions of dollars, has, you know, this enormous fortune. He says, I'm not leaving any of it to my son because I don't want him to become spoiled. They're like, okay, well, you know, trust fund babies are bad. But so that probably means you haven't been teaching your son how to work for the last like 20 years of his life. Because one of the things you're, you're setting up is, you know, say with family businesses, we also want to teach our sons how to rightly use the wealth, not just stay away from it. Same deal with pleasure, right? Don't be a lover of wine, um, but there is a right use of wine. Right. And so we want to show our sons, you know, how do you use that well? How to use it rightly? How to use it to be a blessing you know, to your to your people? Yeah. Yeah, I know both really good thoughts. Um, so getting a little bit practical. Um, what do you then go? OK, so you, you get to the point where in your head I can I can get behind enjoying good things, pursuing good things um, for the sake of giving, for the sake of building um, for for those around me, for the glory of God. Um, and, and so, you know, the other piece that you guys talk about is that that I've heard you talk about a decent amount is um working in a way that aligns with how God's made you. And so where is the uh, wh where is the the line there of being able to choose a career or vocation that is both productive in a way that you can provide for your family in a way that you can build things and give um, but also aligns with with the way God's made you, especially for someone who's maybe 
working in a role right now where they're checking that box of being able to provide, um, but maybe it's not something that's that they own first of all, or or that they feel necessarily aligns with the way that God has fully gifted them. Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, we did a series uh, on the Hardman podcast about vocation. You know, working through some of those issues, a couple of episodes on it. Um, so I encourage people to check those out. But I, I would say, yeah, we've generally tried to. W- one of the acronyms we used in going through this was MAP. So motivation, abilities, and pattern. Um, helping guys identify like what motivates you, what do you love, what can you get fired up about, um, and then abilities. You know, what natural God-given talents and gifts do you have? Um, you know, how do you identify those? And then pattern. Where do you see kind of the work that you do? Where right as a man we know that you're a provider the glory of man is his strength so when you display your strength where do you see these patterns of other men recognizing and saying that's glorious like landon when you do this thing it's great and you guys probably working together is is great because you notice this all the time there there, there could be tasks where you know dad does a great job with it and it's like you're really good with dealing with the clients and interfacing with them and then you know you got another guy who's like you know, maybe maybe your EQ and talking to people is not the highest thing in the world, but but you're really good at filing the paperwork, you know, being ADD about scheduling and calendars and, you know, in, in a mortgage business, like you have to have those things too. So I think a lot of it is relying on the community, the people that you work with to identify those things. One of the biggest things we've found though is kind of saying to guys, you know, it's going to be a process, right? I worked for over 10 years in corporate America. I don't begrudge that time. I learned invaluable yeah. skill sets. Um, it, it was really, so I started reading Chris Wiley's book, Man in the House. And I said, I want to get out of this. But at the same time, he encourages people, like maximize the opportunities that you have. So I was working in journalism, in media. Today, I get to use those things for new, you know, new Chris and Impress. But at the time I looked at it and I was like, look, basically this company is paying for my training, right? They're teaching me how to run a media company, how to run. I was working for gun magazines. Mm-hmm. I was an editor in chief. I had to run websites. All those things I viewed as, okay, this is for the future, right? These are skills that are valuable. I'm being paid. I'm providing, I'm fulfilling my role. And over time, I would just develop these side hustles where I could kind of evolve the side hustle into a future business. I think one of the biggest mistakes guys make is they say, okay, I read Man in the House, or you know, I, I read this thing about productive property. I don't want to be a wage slave anymore. So I've got a wife and three three kids. I quit my job, and I'm just going to start this business, and I hope it works out. I'm like, that's actually a horrible idea. That is not responsible, calculated risk. That's just a bad decision. So even with our media company, right? I was working uh, full-time as a COO of another media company, doing that work full-time, doing the hard man podcast as a side hustle, right? That starts taking off. It builds. You connect. I connected with Brian and Dan and you say, okay, they have some podcasts. We're working together. These things are growing slowly. It builds. And then you'll naturally hit this point where you're like, look, I got to make a choice here because I can't work two full-time jobs at the same time. But we also have evidence that these other things are working. And then you can make a, you know, a responsible decision on that front. But I think just viewing it as, Everything that you do is training you for the next phase. That's fine. That's great. You know, we do have to definitely tell guys, be content with where you are. Um, for a lot of people in our generation, like we're going to do a lot of heavy lifting to get our kids to the starting blocks, right? Like I'm not anticipating 
you know, the Lord could have other plans, but I'm not anticipating that next year, by this time next year, I'll be on your podcast and we'll be talking about how we overtook Elon Musk for wealthiest whatever in the world. I'm not anticipating that, right? But we can take what we can have or what we've been given. We can invest well with those things and slowly grow and be patient and just trust that, you know, God's going to use that and advance our careers and that sort of thing as well. I would just, again, going back to MAP, I would just encourage guys, you know, if you're in one of those dead-end jobs, right, that is one of the things I would warn against is it can be very soul-sucking. Uh, I've done the data entry stuff, but look, it may mean that I, I would wake up early in the morning and I would read, you know, about masculinity. I read about theology. I spend an hour writing on my blog and that was enough fire in my belly to keep me going for the rest of the day. And I said, you know what? The Lord is going to use this. Joseph had to spend time in prison. I'm sure that he wasn't like, that's my dream job, but God used that. He was faithful and exaltation. God exalts people over time as they're faithful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, yeah. I think of that, that labor that really is toil. Um, mm. it, is it still a good thing? Uh, I love the Ecclesiastes verse that talks about how, um, the, the work itself is good because in a sense it distracts you from the concerns of the world. And, uh, and so it's, it's not even necessarily, obviously the fruit that comes from your work is good, but the toil itself also has value. Um, and then also, yeah, just being obviously with bearing in mind everything you've talked about, but still being faithful in the little where where you've been placed um, as as an opportunity to prepare to be faithful uh, for God to give you more. Um, that's super helpful perspective. Um, Eric, if there's a couple things, just just one or two things clear notes that you'd, you'd want anyone to take away from this conversation, what would you want people to take away? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I think one of the things that sticks in my mind from the Proverbs is that um, if you have a gift and you employ it, you know, Proverbs tells us you will not stand before obscure men. So that is vital in all of this. That, that You know, before wealth creation, and this is why I think vocation is so helpful, it's really about finding out what is that thing that God's gifted me to do or those things that God has gifted me to do that when I do them, it is a genuine service and blessing to my people, right? The whole point of work, if you go to, you know, first Corinthians, you talk about spiritual gifts, but any gift, it, it applies the same way. God gave you these things for the building up of the body. God gave you certain skill sets so that you can bless other people. So that really gets to the question of like wealth generation. Right. Like, where do you do work that is meaningful to you? You find valuable. It impassions you. And this is going to be so crucial for men. Genesis 2.15, men were made to work and to keep. So one of the core parts of man's identity is finding meaningful things to do with your labor. Right. And meaningful things that bless your community. As you do that, this is a way to avoid the I just want to get rich. I don't care how type mentality. This is how our economy is set up. You do meaningful work. And people find it valuable, so they give you money, right? They they say, this is valuable to our community, so we will pay for it. This is the generation of wealth. So that's great. Men need to figure that one out. And it's going to be a lot of hard struggle and toil. We mentioned the corporate age slavery stuff. A lot of that cubicle work does actually just suck. And so you're going to have to put a lot there. But then I think down the road, what you're going to be able to build from that is finding a life work building wealth, and then being able to pass both of those things on to your kids. 
So I think if you if if people end up having young children, right? You you maybe don't see this as much. This is why I think working with, you know, dad is such a great thing for young men, especially, is because they can help you see that other side of the perspective. And so I would say to guys like find other men who have been competent in their work, who've done it for a long time, who've raised their families, find mm-hmm. mentors, because we really do. I think a lot of the young men need that perspective, uh, being able to see things differently. I know that about my dad, right? Uh, I'm like, dad, here's what I got to do. And I get obsessed with this one thing. And he's like, mm-hmm. okay, time out. <laughs> like, I know that's really important to you right now, but have you thought about where you're going to be when you're 50? What about when you're 60? Are you setting your kids up well for that moment? Yeah. So I think finding work, meaningful work, also mentorship. And then I think the mentorship is also a way that, look, a mentor, a good mentor, or father figure can really help you hone in on those abilities too. You need other people to help you find the work that is good for you and it's going to be wealth generating. And then you'll need that mentor for also applying, like where are you going to invest that money? People with age uh, who are wise, uh, can really help out on that front. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that one one key thing that is important to everything you're talking about here is you've touched on it, but is just having that long-term perspective of, you know, not just what am I going to accomplish by the end of my life, but having a genuine, you know, it might be a 500-year perspective kind of thing of what is God doing and um, how can I be faithful to move it forward just a little bit? Yeah, it, we've definitely hit on this a lot in the King's Hall, but like the, even thinking about the Guinness beer story, right, where the, the, the father takes out a 9,000-year lease, I mean, that is a decision that is thinking about the future, right, and that we are going to live on through our children. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. making decisions that are going to impact uh, future generations, even down to things like when you discipline your children, right? You discipline your children, you're actually disciplining your grandchildren, right? You're setting them up for healthy marriages uh, when you teach them those things. Yeah, awesome. Dad, anything to add? No, I'm just sucking it in. Yeah. Good stuff. Lots of good stuff. Well, thanks so much, Eric. Really, really appreciate it. And, uh, and thankful for your time. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Eric. Uh, Anywhere that you we can find you, obviously the Hard Men podcast. Where else can can people find you? Yeah, definitely. You can go to ericconn.com, E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N.com. You can find the Hard Men podcast there. You can also check out newchristendompress.com. If you're feeling really brave, you can go on Twitter. You can follow me at Eric E-R-I-C underscore C-O-N-N. Lots of hot takes, lots of uh, angry leftists there, but some you know it's a good time. Thanks for listening to Work Is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it with someone else, leave a review, and listen next week.